Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. A new proof has debunked a conspiracy that mathematicians feared might haunt the number line. In doing so, it's given them another set of tools for understanding arithmetic's fundamental building blocks, the prime numbers. That's next. Quanta Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. In a paper posted last March, Harold Helfgott of the University of Göttingen in Germany and Maxim Radziwill of Caltech presented an improved solution to a particular formulation of the Chowla conjecture. That's a question about the relationships between integers. The conjecture predicts that whether one integer has an even or odd number of prime factors doesn't influence whether the next or previous integer also has an even or odd number of prime factors. Basically, nearby numbers don't collude about some of their most basic arithmetic properties. That seemingly straightforward inquiry is intertwined with some of math's deepest unsolved questions about the primes themselves. Terence Tao is a mathematician at UCLA. This is sort of considered a warm-up or a stepping stone towards things like the true conjecture. And yet, for decades, that warm-up was a nearly impossible task itself. It was only a few years ago that mathematicians made any progress. That's when Tao proved an easier version of the problem called the logarithmic Chowla conjecture. The technique he used was heralded as innovative and exciting, but it yielded a result that wasn't precise enough to help make any more headway on related problems, including ones about the primes. Mathematicians hoped for a stronger and more widely applicable proof instead. Now, Helfgott and Radziwill have provided just that. Their solution pushes techniques from graph theory squarely into the heart of number theory. It's reignited hope that the Chowla conjecture will deliver on its promise, ultimately leading mathematicians to the ideas they'll need to confront some of their most elusive questions. Many of number theory's most important problems arise when mathematicians think about how multiplication and addition relate in terms of the prime numbers. The primes themselves are defined in terms of multiplication. They're divisible by no numbers other than themselves and one. And when multiplied together, they construct the rest of the integers. But problems about primes that involve addition have plagued mathematicians for centuries. For instance, the twin primes conjecture asserts that there are infinitely many primes that differ by only two. Think numbers like 11 and 13. The question is challenging because it links two arithmetic operations that usually live independently of one another. Alexei Klerman is a mathematician at the University of Bristol. Why is that difficult? We are mixing two worlds. So primes are defined in terms of multiplication, but we are asking the question about number and number plus two. So we are asking about something which is defined in multiplicative way. We are asking some question about addition. 
Intuition tells mathematicians that adding two to a number should completely change its multiplicative structure. That means there should be no correlation between whether a number is prime and whether the number two units away is prime. That would be the relation between a multiplicative property and an additive property. Number theorists have found no evidence to suggest that such a correlation exists, but without a proof, they can't exclude the possibility that one might emerge eventually. That's why in 1965, Sarvadaman Chawla formulated a slightly easier way to think about the relationship between nearby numbers. You may remember from math class that parity is when an integer has an even or odd number of prime factors. Chawla wanted to show that whether an integer has parity shouldn't in any way bias the number of prime factors of its neighbors. This statement is often understood in terms of the Liouville function. This assigns integers a value of negative 1 if they have an odd number of prime factors, like 12, which is equal to 2 times 2 times 3, so it has 3 factors, and it assigns integers a value of plus 1 if they have an even number of prime factors, like 10, which is equal to 2 times 5, so two factors. The conjecture predicts that there should be no correlation between the values that the Liouville function takes for consecutive numbers. Many state-of-the-art methods for studying prime numbers break down when it comes to measuring parity, which is precisely what Chawla's conjecture is all about. Mathematicians hoped that by solving it, they'd develop ideas that could apply to problems like the twin primes conjecture. For years, though, it remained no more than a hope. But in 2015, everything changed. Radziwill and Kaisa Matomaki of the University of Turku in Finland didn't set out to solve the Chawla conjecture. They wanted to study the behavior of the Liouville function over short intervals. They already knew that on average, the function is plus one half the time and negative one half the time but it was still possible that its values might cluster, cropping up in long concentrations of either all plus ones or all negative ones. In 2015, Matomaki and Radziwill proved that those clusters almost never happen. Their work established that if you choose a random number and look at, say, its hundred or a thousand nearest neighbors, Roughly half have an even number of prime factors and half have an odd number. Here's Andrew Granville of the University of Montreal. That was the big piece that was missing from the puzzle of how to proceed. So they, they made this unbelievable breakthrough that revolutionized the whole subject of multiplicative functions. It was strong evidence that numbers aren't involved in a large-scale conspiracy, but the Chawla conjecture is about conspiracies at the finest level. That's where Tao came in. Within months of their 2016 study, he saw a way to build on Matomaki and Radziwill's work to attack a version of the problem that's easier to study, the logarithmic Chawla conjecture. In this formulation, smaller numbers are given larger weights so that they're just as likely to be sampled as larger integers. Tao had a vision for how a proof of the logarithmic Chawla conjecture might go. 
First, he would assume that the logarithmic Chawla conjecture is false, that there is, in fact, a conspiracy between the number of prime factors of consecutive integers. Then he'd try to demonstrate that such a conspiracy could be amplified. An exception to the Chawla conjecture would mean not just a conspiracy among consecutive integers, but a much larger conspiracy along entire swaths of the number line. He would then be able to take advantage of Radziwill and Matomaki's earlier result, which had ruled out larger conspiracies of exactly this kind. A counterexample to the Chawla conjecture would imply a logical contradiction, meaning it could not exist, and the conjecture had to be true. But before Tao could do any of that, he had to come up with a new way of linking numbers. Tao started by capitalizing on a defining feature of the Liouville function. Consider the numbers 2 and 3. Both have an odd number of prime factors. So they share a Liouville value of negative 1. But because the Liouville function is multiplicative, multiples of 2 and 3 also have the same sign pattern as each other. That simple fact carries an important implication. If 2 and 3 both have an odd number of prime factors due to some secret conspiracy, then there's also a conspiracy between 4 and 6, numbers that differ by 2. So a conspiracy between adjacent integers would also imply conspiracies between all pairs of their multiples. To better understand this widening conspiracy, Tao thought about it in terms of a graph, a collection of vertices connected by edges. In this graph, each vertex represents an integer. If two numbers differ by a prime and are also divisible by that prime, they're connected by an edge. For example, consider the number 1001, which is divisible by the primes 7, 11, and 13. In Tau's graph, it shares edges with 1008, 1012, and 1014, that last one by addition. It also shares edges with 994, 990, and 988, that last one by subtraction. Each of these numbers is in turn connected to many other vertices. Taken together, those edges encode broader networks of influence. Connected numbers represent exceptions to Chawla's conjecture, in which the factorization of one integer actually does bias that of another. To prove this logarithmic version of the Chawla conjecture, Tao needed to show that this graph has too many connections to be a realistic representation of values of the Liouville function. In the language of graph theory, that meant showing that his graph of interconnected numbers had a specific property, that it was an expander graph. An expander is an ideal yardstick for measuring the scope of a conspiracy. It's a highly connected graph, even though it has relatively few edges compared to its number of vertices. That makes it difficult to create a cluster of interconnected vertices that don't interact much with other parts of the graph. A local expander happens when any given neighborhood on the graph has this property. 
If Tau could show that his graph was a local expander, he'd prove that a single breach of the Chowla conjecture would spread across the number line. That would be a clear violation of Matomaki and Radziwill's 2015 result. Proving that a graph is an expander often translates to studying random walks along its edges. In a random walk, each successive step is determined by chance, as if you were wandering through a city and flipping a coin at each intersection to decide whether to turn left or right. If the streets of that city form an expander, it's possible to get pretty much anywhere by taking random walks of relatively few steps. But walks on Tau's graph are strange and circuitous. For instance, it's impossible to jump directly from 1001 to 1002. That requires at least three steps. A random walk along this graph starts at an integer, adds or subtracts a random prime that divides it, and moves to another integer. It's not obvious that repeating this process only a few times can lead to any point in a given neighborhood, which should be the case if the graph really is an expander. In fact, when the integers on the graph get big enough, it's no longer clear how to even create random paths. Breaking numbers down into their prime factors, and therefore defining the graph's edges, becomes prohibitively difficult. Here's Helfgott. Counting all of these walks, it's easy to get scared in this big graph. How do you count these walks? This was completely not obvious. When Tao tried to show that his graph was an expander, he says it was a little too hard. So he developed a new approach instead, based on a measure of randomness called entropy. This allowed him to circumvent the need to show the expander property, but at a cost. Tau could solve the logarithmic Chowla conjecture, but less precisely than he'd wanted to. In an ideal proof of the conjecture, independence between integers should always be evident, even along small sections of the number line. But with Tau's proof, that independence doesn't become visible until you sample over an astronomical number of integers. Plus, it wasn't clear how to extend this entropy method to other problems. Here's James Maynard of the University of Oxford. There was this original motivation. There's this sort of dream that maybe people think is not so realistic now, but maybe this is a sort of stepping stone to problems that are close to the twin fine conjecture. Tao's work was a complete breakthrough, but people are naturally interested in kind of, oh, what can you do now? We have these new techniques. And so maybe we'd like to try and not count with these more approximate logarithmic weights, but maybe we'd like to count with the normal weights. And there's lots of other problems that sort of now maybe one would hope to attack, given that we have these new ideas that can handle parity in at least some special situations. Five years later, Helfgott and Radziwill managed to do what Tau couldn't by extending the conspiracy he'd identified even further. Tau had built a graph that connected two integers if they differed by a prime and were divisible by that prime. Helfgott and Radziwill considered a new so-called naive graph that did away with that second condition. It connected numbers merely if subtracting one from the other yielded a prime. The effect was an explosion of edges. On this naive graph, 1001 didn't have just six connections with other vertices, it had hundreds. 
But the graph was so much simpler than Tao's in a key way. Taking random walks along its edges didn't require knowledge of the prime divisors of very large integers. That, along with the greater density of edges, made it much easier to demonstrate that any neighborhood in the naive graph had the expander property. That means you're likely to get from any vertex to any other in a small number of random steps. Helfgott and Radziwill showed that this naive graph approximated Tau's graph. If they could show that the two graphs were similar, they would be able to infer properties of Tau's graph by looking at theirs instead. And because they already knew their graph was a local expander, they'd be able to conclude that Tau's was too. And that would mean that the logarithmic Chowla conjecture was true. But given that the naive graph had so many more edges than Tau's, the resemblance was buried, if it existed at all. Here's Harold Helfgott again. When you say that these two graphs are like each other, I mean, they don't look like each other. What does it mean to say that they are like each other? It really means that they do similar things to functions. Helfgott and Radziwill set out to prove that the graphs approximate each other by translating between two perspectives. In one, they looked at the graphs as graphs. In the other, they looked at them as objects called matrices. First, they represented each graph as a matrix, an array of values that in this case encoded connections between vertices. Then, they subtracted the matrix that represented the naive graph from the matrix that represented Tau's graph. The result was a matrix that represented the difference between the two. Helfgott and Radziwill needed to prove that certain parameters associated with this matrix, called eigenvalues, were all small. This is because a defining characteristic of an expander graph is that its associated matrix has one large eigenvalue, while the rest are significantly smaller. If Tau's graph, like the naive one, was an expander, then it too would have one large eigenvalue then those two large eigenvalues would nearly cancel each other out when one matrix was subtracted from the other, leaving a set of eigenvalues that were all small. But eigenvalues are tricky to study by themselves. Instead, an equivalent way to prove that all the eigenvalues of this matrix were small involved a return to graph theory. And so Helfgott and Radziwill converted this matrix made of the matrices of their naive graph minus Tau's graph back into a graph itself. Then they proved that this graph contained few random walks of a certain length that looped back to their starting points. This implied that most random walks on Tau's graph had essentially canceled out random walks on the naive expander graph. That means Tau's graph could be approximated by the naive expander graph. That meant both were therefore expanders. Helfgott and Radziwill's solution to the logarithmic Chowla conjecture marked a significant quantitative improvement on Tau's result. They could sample over far fewer integers to arrive at the same outcome. The parity of the number of prime numbers of an integer is not correlated with that of its neighbors. Ben Green is a mathematician at Oxford. To me, the main interest is just in itself. It is very interesting that they've shown that this deterministic graph that's defined in terms of prime numbers and division looks like a random graph. So that's a very strong statement about how 
prime numbers and divisibility look wonder. And Matt O'Mackey thinks the work is perhaps even more exciting because... There are not too many instances of it, but it's sort of a natural way to attack the problem. And that's exactly the intuitive approach that Terence Tao first hoped for six years ago. Expander graphs have previously led to new discoveries in theoretical computer science, group theory, and other areas of math. Now, Helfgott and Radziwill have made them available for problems in number theory as well. Their work demonstrates that expander graphs have the power to reveal some of the most basic properties of arithmetic. That has the power to dispel potential conspiracies and start to disentangle the complex interplay between addition and multiplication. Suddenly when you're using the graph language, it's seeing all this structure in the problem that you couldn't really see beforehand. And mathematician James Maynard says that's the magic. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Jordana Sapelowitz's full article, Mathematicians Outwit Hidden Number Conspiracy, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Explore more math mysteries in the Quanta book, The Prime Number Conspiracy, published by the MIT Press, available now at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. (music) 